Billy Graham writes in the book, The Secret of Happiness. He says, I once heard of a man who went to see a psychiatrist. He told the doctor that he was lonely, despondent, and miserable. He begged the doctor to help him. The psychiatrist suggested that he needed to laugh. So he instructed the patient to attend the circus and watch the clown who was famous for being able to make anyone laugh. His patient looked him in the eyes and said, But doctor, you you don't understand. You see, I am that clown. We laugh, but we live in a world where people everywhere are consumed with finding happiness. The world is full of people like that clown. They become professionals at looking happy. They become professionals at looking like they're having the greatest time in the world. They're pursuing happiness with every waking moment and sometimes with every credit card in their wallet, right? Trying to find happiness but coming up empty in the end, never finding true joy. The lack of true joy is not only a problem for those outside the church. Unfortunately, even in the church, the joy-filled life can escape us. Unfortunately for believers, sometimes we can struggle to find true joy. So this morning, we're beginning a brief series of studies on the topic of joy. This is something that's been on my heart for some time about challenging you and encouraging you that we have a great resource for joy. I want to talk to you this morning and in the weeks ahead for just a brief series of messages from the first chapter of Philippians. Would you go there with me this morning, Philippians chapter 1? Because God desires that his people know true joy. God desires that his people experience true joy. And we find in Philippians chapter 1 a very good place to turn to see what true joy looks like in the lives of believers who aren't without troubles. Did you hear that? We see in Philippians 1 the lives of believers experiencing joy, being instructed in the pursuit of true joy, and yet the one who writes and the one to whom he writes are not without their problems. They have troubles. Just think of the author of the book of Philippians for a moment. The Apostle Paul, most conservative Bible scholars agree, wrote this letter while he was imprisoned in Rome. You see indicators of that in chapter 1. Considering Paul's circumstances while he wrote this letter makes the theme of joy found here even more significant, that he he very likely was imprisoned while he wrote this letter, and yet he speaks again and again and again about joy. And we would say, how can you have joy when you are imprisoned wrongfully for your faith? But Paul could because he knew from whence came his joy, from where comes the joy, the source of joy. If Paul could know and write about true joy while imprisoned, think of it, then there is hope for us. You're not in prison. (laughs) You might feel like it right now, but you're not, okay? 
you're going to get up from this place and you're going to leave in a few moments and you're going to go about your business this week and so far you're not imprisoned for your faith, are you? So here's this letter, Philippians, written to the church at Philippi. Paul was familiar with the people there. He was close to them. They were dear to him. In in Philippi, there were things that, that happened there, and he pointed people to Christ in his previous missionary journeys. On his second missionary journey, Paul had visited the city of Philippi. We find pointers to this in Acts chapter 16. The conversions of Lydia and her family and the jailer and his family are recorded, and they are residents in Philippi. And so as Paul writes this letter to the local church at Philippi, he's writing to people he cares deeply about personally. He, he knows many of them personally and by name. And he writes with this love in his heart and also for, with this very real concern for the believers there. And he wants to encourage the believers to be faithful, yes, be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ, be faithful in the ministry, be faithful as they serve in the church and be faithful with their Christian lives, but he also writes to them because he wants them to know true joy. And he wants them to know where to find it and how to find it and how to enjoy being Christians who still have problems. We're going to start with Paul's instruction as he begins in the introduction, actually, just the verses 1 and 2 this morning, but I don't want to read just verses 1 and 2. If you don't mind, I'd like to read all of chapter 1 because I want you to hear the theme of joy that permeates chapter 1. And then we're going to come back and look at verses 1 and 2 for a few moments. Do you have your copy of God's Word? I hope you do. Look at chapter 1 of Philippians as I read. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrances of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I told you in my, I, I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And in verse 12, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, as much, are, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. 
So in, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. For that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. And in verse 27 he writes, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Do you hear the theme of joy in Philippians 1? Do you also hear that there is not an absence of trouble? Philippians chapter 1 ends on that note. There is trouble. There is difficulty engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now here I still have. And yet we heard him say again and again, for your joy in the faith. Philippians chapter 1, go back to verses 1 and 2. I want to show you the foundation for true joy. We must begin. If you're going to build something of any substance, you've got to begin with a decent foundation, right? Some of you have built houses, helped build houses, or had houses built, and they also always begin with a good, the good groundwork, right? The foundation. And we can see it in Paul's greeting. The theme of joy 
we would hear as, as I read, as I read chapter one, we hear the theme of joy there. And I, and I think the foundation is what we see in verses one and two. The foundation for this joy that Paul longs for the people at the church of Philippi to have. And evidently this is God's heart for the church today because God inspired Paul to write this not only for the church at Philippi, but for the church, right? And we are a part of the church. And so we come to Philippians 1 today and we're challenged that, that we need what God has given to us through the writings of Paul and we praise God for this. And this theme of joy we could hear as, as I read chapter 1, but there, where does Paul find true joy? Where does he, where does he find it? Where does a believer find true joy? As he talks about this joy that he longs for the Christians to have, the church at Philippi to have, and believers to have, as God has given us this word, where do we find that joy? It's found by having the right foundation. It begins with the foundation. I want you to think with me about the first part of this foundation, and I would use the word servants here, because servants is a part of this foundation. Look at the passage again in verses 1 and 2. Paul and Timothy, do you see it there? Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Paul begins by identifying himself and Timothy as servants of Christ Jesus. Now, in all of Paul's other letters, except for First and Second Thessalonians and Philemon, Paul refers to himself as an apostle. So just a few times he refers to himself in, in some other way than apostle. And this is one of those times. Here he simply identifies himself as a servant of Christ Jesus. Now we tend to think of the role of a servant as something lowly, right? If someone said to you, you're a servant, you would say, wait a minute, I'm not a servant. And yet God calls his people to be servants, right? And gives us the, the example of the Lord Jesus Christ who came to, you know it, who came to serve and not be served, right? And so we should not, we should not be repulsed by this word servant. Paul wasn't, and he leads with this. He, he makes his introduction to this letter with this word servant. So don't be, don't be surprised at this, but be challenged by it. We tend to think of the role of a servant as something lowly and humble, a position that, that uh, is, is looked down upon. While we think of someone who is an apostle, where he sometimes introduces himself as an apostle, he doesn't hear. We think of the, of the apostle as someone exalted, right? Someone prominent, someone important. But I think by simply identifying himself as a servant of Christ Jesus, Paul demonstrates humility. He's beginning to show the church at Philippi to speak to them about their joy in the faith and how, and how they're, they're going to find true joy. And yet, it's mixed with hardship and difficulty. We see it there throughout chapter 1. And so he leads with this because I think he wants them to see he is a servant. He is a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, all who are, who are followers of Christ, all who have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, are truly to be servants of Christ. We should serve for God's glory. Now, where would Paul get an idea that servanthood or being a servant is an important part of the Christian life? Well, in fact, Paul learned it from the example of Christ, and so should we. Look for a moment at Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Go to verse uh, verses 5 through 8 in Philippians 2. 
where Paul writes this, and we can see where Paul got this idea that that uh, believers are to be servants, followers of Christ are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours, in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So as Paul says there in in chapter 2, and by identifying himself and Timothy as servants of Christ, Paul is following the example of Christ's own humility. Jesus Christ came to earth humbling himself, dying on a cross, and Paul is demonstrating for the Philippian church and for us an attitude, a proper attitude for believers, and that of humility. We need to demonstrate humility if we're, if we're going to have joy, and, and Paul knows this. Paul knows that his joy in the Lord will be, will, will be gone if he isn't humble before the Lord, if he isn't seeing himself as the Lord's servant. It'll disappear. It'll be non-existent joy. And so he identifies himself as, he and Timothy, as servants of Christ. And he's following Christ's own example of humility. You know, if we're going to know true joy, first we need to know Christ. You realize that? We talk about it. I, I mentioned that you know the world around us, and sometimes we get caught up in this too, is pursuing happiness, pursuing joy. Sometimes with every ounce of energy we have, sometimes without every ounce of credit we have, right? We just we think we buy things, or if we had this, or if we if we did this, or if I had that job, or if I had this possession, or if I was, you know, if I knew this person, or whatever it is, we think we might find another sliver, another slice of joy, of happiness, of contentment, and peace. But we need to understand that real joy, lasting joy, eternal joy, joy in the here and now and joy for eternity will only be ours if we know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's where it must begin. And and you know what must come? If you're going to trust the Lord Jesus Christ as, as a sinner who comes and looks at his own life and says, I'm a sinner in need of grace, in need of forgiveness of sins, guess what you've got to be? You've got to be humble. Humble enough to say, I agree with you, God, because God knows this already. He knows that we're sinners. He declares it in his word. We need to come to a point where we admit it. Yes, God, I'm a sinner. And I need to be saved. I need a Savior. Your first act of humility before God is humbling before him, submitting before him and saying, I'm a sinner. Forgive me, God. I believe in your son, Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of my sins. Praise God, right? When a, when a sinner says that, what? They're trusting the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where it must begin. And humility is a necessary part of the foundation for true joy. We cannot know Christ if we aren't willing to humble ourselves first, but that humility just begins there. Think of it, how often we have conflict with others that robs us of our joy, and far too often it's because we fail to show humility. You see, we start the Christian life in humility, and yet we need to grow in humility. We don't one time express our humility before God and then no longer need to be growing in humility. No, as followers of Christ, we need to grow up 
in humility. Uh, I heard it expressed one way as, as we need to grow up by growing down. <laughs> you know, we grow up in Christ by growing down into humility, by lowering ourselves to say, look, I'm not worthy of this grace that God has shown me. And so I'm not any better than anybody else. And who am I to, to, to demand others show me honor when God sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ humbled himself and made himself next to nothing so that he could take my sins, the sinless one taking my sins. Paul knew that, that God's people needed to grow in humility. That's the attitude that we need. If you want to know true joy, you've got to back up and go back to the foundation, go to the beginning, and it begins with humility. It begins with where we become servants and we see ourselves as servants of the Lord Jesus Christ who came to save us from our sins, praise God. But what happens when we think too highly of ourselves? What happens? We are easily offended, right? Why Why would we be offended? Because we think we deserve something that we didn't get, or we got something we didn't deserve. And so we become defensive, and we easily become offended, and we can be petty or think that our opinions are the only ones that matter. But when we have the kind of humility that ought to characterize every believer, then we'll do as Paul instructs in Romans 12.10, and we will love one another with brotherly affection, and we will outdo one another in showing honor. I love that passage, but it is extremely, it's an extremely challenging passage, right? I really like that passage when I'm teaching it to you. You know what I mean? Love one another for Pete's sake, right? Love one another with brotherly affection. This is what you're supposed to do. A preacher can preach like that and go, there, take that, right? Outdo one another in showing honor. You know where it becomes difficult is when I say, wait a minute, that's for me. That's for me. Can you hear that today, that that is for each one of us? And yes, this is difficult, but let me suggest that if you want to know true joy, if you've never thought about a passage like that and many others in God's word that instruct us that we are to show love toward others because God has shown much love to us, that we are to show others grace because God has shown us much grace. If you've never thought about that, start practicing this week. Start practicing today. Note it. This is a great passage to, to jot down. If you ever write down a verse to memorize, Romans 12.10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. If there is to be a contest in our midst, it's to be a contest of showing honor. I always think of the goofy little cartoon of the chipmunks. No, no, you first. No, you first. You first. No, you first. Going down the hole, you know, it's like, no, no, you first. We should practice that this week. I think we will learn that yielding to the needs of others instead of demanding our own wishes always be met. And we tend to do that. We can tend to easily do that. We think, well, I deserve this for Pete's sake. I mean, can't everybody else see that they should be, you know, doing this thing that I want or this thing that I prefer? Instead of demanding that our wishes always be met, let's practice this. You want true joy? Do you want to know true joy? Be willing to humble yourself before God and to be his servant, the Lord Jesus Christ's servant, because servants serve. And if we're not willing to serve, then we really aren't servants, are we? 
love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Andrew Murray writes, the humble man feels no jealousy or envy. He can praise God when others are are preferred and blessed before him. He can bear to hear others praised while he is forgotten because he has received the spirit of Jesus who pleased not himself and who sought not his own honor. Therefore, in putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, he has put on the heart of compassion, kindness, meekness, long-suffering, and humility. Oh, we need to grow up by growing down into humility, yes? And becoming strong as we see ourselves as servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm convinced, I think Paul was convinced, I'm pretty certain that this is where he's coming from as he begins this letter, that if you want to know true joy, you've got to start with the right ingredients in your foundation, the right parts and pieces of your foundation. One of those is being a servant. Now, key here is that humble people are not conscious of being humble. (laughs) And and we can say, well, you know, um, I'm not very humble, right? And we're trying to be humble by saying that. I know I'm not very humble here, but M.R.D. Hahn says, humility is something we should constantly pray for, yet never thank God that we have. (laughs) Thank you, Lord, for making me so humble. Oops. Yes, pray for humility. Pray that you will see yourself as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want true joy, you've got to start there. You've got to start with Christ, and you've got to realize that you're his servant, and servants serve. The word translated servant here conveys the idea of one who willingly gives himself up to serve. I am so thankful that I have been privileged to be called to a place where there are many people who willingly give themselves up to serve. It means that that no no one of us does the work alone, praise God. But I'm, I'm confident that there is more room for us because there are more of us who need to step up and say, I will serve. God, I will serve. I will be your servant. And these people he was talking about weren't just servants. They were servants of Christ Jesus. Think of that. Think of whom you are called to serve. If you need some comparison, but this is a really weak comparison, but for you or me, this is probably gives us an idea. Just imagine if you were called to serve in the White House. If you were called to go serve in our nation's capital, in the White House, you would consider that an honor. You would be overwhelmed. I was, I'm, they want, they want me to come and serve in the White House? All right, think of your favorite president. They're calling you to serve, okay? (laughs) Maybe, maybe you don't have your favorite president, okay? So I'm, I'm sorry, but Lord knows and he's in control, right? And I'm not talking about who's in the White House. I'm saying think about the, the opportunity to go serve. And you would say, well, I'm, I'm in an honored position here, and, that, and this is very humbling, and guess what? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? If you have, you are called to serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is no comparison. I realize the White House example, that's really lame compared to thinking of whom you serve as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you don't realize that that example is really lame, (laughs) you need to get your head into God's word because God 
is mighty and awesome and exalted, and he holds every decision of every king and every president in his hand. God is in control, and he is the one you serve if you're a child of God. It takes attention away from Paul and Timothy when he describes themselves as servants, and that's the way it should be. If you think of yourself as a servant, you won't be disappointed when you don't get any recognition for what you've done because you know God knows. Also, Paul was a prisoner at Rome. He was a prisoner of Rome, and the Roman emperor was worshipped by many of his citizens, but Paul draws attention to the fact that his real master is the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And like Paul, we need to point others to our real master, the Lord Jesus Christ. But if we're busy exalting self, there will be no joy. No joy. Joy comes when we get our priorities right before God. And our number one priority as followers of Christ should be to make much of Christ. Our number one priority of life should not be joy. And yet I'm going to preach a series of messages on joy. (laughs) Okay? But I'm here to tell you that your priority should not be joy. Your priority should be making much of Christ. And joy will follow. I promise. Because I believe God's word. I've got two more points. And I'm out of time. This is one part. One part. of, And I think this is, this is a great place to stop this morning. Because if we don't get this right... My other two points don't matter. We need to see ourselves as servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you've come this morning and you realize, I'm not a servant. Maybe it's because you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I don't see myself as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe it's because you've never humbled yourself and said, I'm a sinner, and God sent his son Jesus to save me. That's true of every one of you who need Christ. If you don't know Christ, I call on you. I implore you, trust Jesus Christ today. Your joy, your true joy begins there. You will not find true joy in this life and certainly not in eternity if you do not trust Jesus Christ. And you can do that right now. Speak to God in prayer. Repent of your sins and believe in His Son, Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. And you will be on the right path to true joy. Believers, believers, do you see yourself as a servant? We need to begin there. Followers of Christ, we say, right? Christ served. He made himself nothing. Took on human flesh. Think of it, God putting on human flesh to be a servant. Paul says, Paul and Timothy, servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, of Christ Jesus, right? You see yourself as a servant? It begins there. It begins there. You come back tonight, I'll finish my message. We need the rest. We need God's word, don't we? I love what Paul says here in chapter 1. I read the the entirety of chapter 1 because I wanted you to hear the, the joy laced in with the trials. You are not going to leave this place and have no troubles as a believer. And and often we hear it. Often people come to Christ and find they have more troubles. Why? Because we live in a fallen world. 
And many people in this fallen world reject the good news of Jesus Christ and may reject you because you've trusted in Jesus Christ. But you, as a child of God, are saved from your sins. And God has redeemed you and made you his own as a child of God if you've trusted in Jesus Christ. You have nothing to fear from man, though you may suffer some. And Paul is suffering, and he says it here in this letter, that even the people that he is writing to are called to suffer for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But God will give you true joy, even in the midst of your trials and suffering, if you will depend upon him and trust in him and be willing to be first and foremost a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, making much of Jesus. Let's pray. Our precious Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for Jesus Christ. We praise you and thank you that that willingly he came to suffer and die for our sins, to take the punishment he did not deserve so that we might be redeemed and made whole and given new life in Christ. Oh God, I pray that any unbeliever in this room today would have their hearts pricked and, and the stony wall of resistance torn down that they might have softened hearts to believe in Jesus Christ and be saved. And God, I pray that Each and every believer in this room today would be humbled before you because Jesus Christ humbled himself. And he calls us to do the same, humbling ourselves, seeing ourselves as servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray, help us to be faithful, obedient servants. And help us to honor the Lord Jesus Christ with our whole life. Each and every believer God, I pray that you would help us to see this is our calling to serve, not to be served. Oh, Lord, that we would be a church that serves, a church filled with servants who aren't demanding their own pleasures, their own comforts, their own desires, but are making much of Christ, making Christ known with their lives growing up as they grow down into humility before the Lord Jesus Christ, growing up in spiritual maturity as as they take the promises of your word to heart and obey. God, help us to bring you great glory as a church, and may your joy be ours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.